Welcome to the first episode of the Cork Creative Podcast. We have started this podcast to provide all the wonderful people working imaginatively and innovating in the creative arts and in business a platform to discuss their journey to now, plans for the future and lessons learned. If you'd like to learn more, please visit corecreative.ie. I am Patrick Kiley, your host. I'm the founder of Flux Learning, a digital education company proudly situated in Clonakilty, County Cork, where I live and work. But that is more than enough about me. Today, for this inaugural podcast, I am delighted to be joined by Carabelle, a Skibreen native, mother to five wonderful children, French and English teacher in Sacred Heart Secondary School in Clonakilty, and a rising star of the literary world, with five books published and another well in train. As we will certainly discuss today, Cara's route to being an author with Poolbeg Press is not a typical one. Cara is a huge Game of Thrones fan, well at least until the last season, and all of Cara's readers can be assured that she will not keep them waiting for her next books, given her prodigious work rate and prolific writing. So without further ado, welcome to Core Creative, Cara. Thank you. So I suppose we'll address the pandemic elephant in the room immediately. How are you getting on as a frontline worker since September 2020 when Irish schools reopened? Well, personally, in my context, we're getting on really well. Um, our school has been adept at dealing with the pandemic, really. Um, this is personally, obviously, but, um, you know, we sanitize constantly. We're always wearing masks and um, the kids are really good. We've one way systems and staggered lunch times. Um, it's weird. You know, you feel a bit isolated. You don't really see your colleagues as much, but um, with the news of the vaccine now, I mean, it's short lived, really, hopefully. So um, I'm just dying for it all to go back to normal. But like having said that, we're getting on with it. And um, I'm much happier to be in school. I think the kids are happier to be in school. So I'm hoping it'll remain that way. OK, very good. It's great to hear that you're getting on so well, indeed. Oh, yeah. Uh, on top of your teaching and the increased workload of pandemic teaching, you're still actively writing. So can you describe what your writing process is? How do you trigger yourself to write, so to speak? Yeah, my my writing process depends, I suppose, what stage of my life I'm at. So like, um, I suppose when I started writing novels in 2011, um, I had three children and, you know, I had a lot more time. Um, but when I self-published then in 2015, I had four and I was still managing. But at the moment, I have five. So it's it's challenging, you know. Um, so I try and, and write on a Sunday, but um, I've always been writing ever since I was in junior infants. Um, when I started, um, my news was always highly entertaining. My teachers loved it. It was all made up and, you know, about my horse. We lived in the middle of town. I mean, there was no way we we had stables, you know, but full of imagination. So, um, you know, I work at weekends. Um, as you know, as a teacher, we get great holidays. So I work during those as well. Um, but about three years ago, I was really in my stride. I'd, I'd get up at five in the morning. Um, Oscar, my last baby, so I thought, um, was three and um, he was civilized. So I'd get up and I'd have my coffee. And, you know, I wrote my fourth book, Echoes of Grace, in about six months. I was just really in the zone. I'd go off to school and I was happy out. And then Phelan came along, big surprise. And I mean, he's just gorgeous, but Jesus, everything changed. I just... I had no time. I was absolutely inundated with deadlines. I just signed with Poolbeg. I put, I signed with them when I was seven months pregnant with him. And it was just, it's just been crazy. So I get guilty when I don't write. So I'm really, you know, I really have to make an effort now to get to the keyboard um, at weekends. And I do, and I always feel better for it. Um, it's good for my mental health. I, you know, it's different to 
teaching is different to my day job, but I absolutely love it, you know. But I think the big thing is, you know, coffee is good. Um, the morning is good for me. You know, don't be precious about letting your kids watch TV. I mean, my child could recite Peppa Pig and that's fine. Um, you know, don't worry about your house being, you know, you know, messy or whatever. You know, you can't do everything. Um, and the big thing as well is, you know, walking, go out and walk and and listen to music. And that really inspires me as well. So, yeah, it's it's busy, but I love it, you know. A creative writer from an early age. Um, no, <laughs> yes. I, I can I can speak to the the productivity that comes from busyness. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. And I mean, you always have to ask, you know, somebody said that, ask a busy person if you want anything done. And it's so true because, you know, when I started writing my first book, I had just started a master's in education in UCC and I had three. I My baby was Lewin, my third. He was six months. And, you know, it was just hectic. But, you know, I loved it. I loved writing. I loved, you know, you know, compartmentalizing my day and making it, you know, um, an hour here, an hour there. So I got way more done. I'm much more productive when I'm busy. And I suppose the genre of your writing and yeah. the role models for your writing. So can you speak to the audience about that a little bit, too, please? Yeah, so the genre, I suppose, would be called popular fiction. Um, so it's easy to read. It's kind of funny, uh, fast moving, um, pure escapism, really. You know, um, I like writing books that I like to read myself. Um, the type of book that you take on holiday, you don't really have to think too deeply about. It doesn't upset you or make you sad. It just, you know, um, floats along and it's nice and but the one thing about my books I suppose that I feel is a little bit different to the kind of normal conventional chiclet would be I kind of look at the male and the female perspective so it's sort of looking at both their kind of emotional vulnerability as opposed to just the, the woman um, and I just feel like the world today is saturated with gloomy stories and even when I'm on Twitter or Facebook I'm always reading awful things so why not create worlds where this isn't you know a major reality and you do have your your happy endings and all of this and I suppose my role models are as many I mean I was an avid reader as a child and um but I suppose nowadays um I love Jane Austen <laughs> which is really oh I know old school romance but I do love her and I low-key obsess about Mr Darcy um I love Emily Bronte actually and I'm actually teaching Wuthering Heights at the moment so I'd forgotten about how wonderful it is how great it is um but my favorite novel of all time is the english patient i just love that i read it over and over but actually in when i was younger i read a lot of um jilly cooper um because she was funny and a bit uh, i kind of emulate her a little bit actually not in the kind of the bunkbuster side of it but actually she would have written maybe 12 books where um, you would have cameos from different characters um, in different contexts and I loved that I loved a character I met maybe in book two popping up in book five and I knew them already and it was just at a different time in their life so I do emulate her in that way and actually um, I wrote to her um, God a couple of years ago now um, telling her how much I admire her and how wonderful she is and she actually wrote back to me personally and now we write to, write to each other all the time and I have a little puppy Romeo and she has a dog bluebell and they're dog pals and they actually send each other cards but she is incredible I mean she's so successful but so humble and just lovely and I mean I did um an interview with the Irish examiner um this year actually with Sue Leonard a lovely journalist and you know I mentioned about Jilly and she said um I wrote Jilly with the article and I said look I mentioned your books and blah 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 and she sent me this gorgeous letter 
thanking me from the bottom of her heart for you know mentioning her and I just felt oh my god she's just class she's just lovely you know a legend <laughs> no that's great I mean and it's I suppose as you said there's a there's a time for easy reading and there's a time for the more gloomy yeah. but I think particularly in the um in the times yeah. we're living in at the moment, more people are reaching for the Lee Child books than the Dostoevsky books, shall we say. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. Can definitely As I always say, nobody reads Ulysses by the pool. And mm. if they do, like, oh my God. They're masochists. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's exactly it. No, fair enough. And um, I would have noticed when I was back in my hot desking days in Ludgate and Skibbereen, um, you would have uh, been calling in there and you would have been frequenting the Ludgate as well with your MacBook Air typing away. Um, yeah. How did having a space like the Ludgate help you in your writing when you well, had such a hectic home life? Yeah, like my fifth book, obviously, I was writing when when Phelan was a newborn and it was hell. It was hell on earth because I was there was just stolen moments, no structure. And I need structure in my writing. So I met a friend of mine who was hot desking in luggage and she said, why don't you go down? And I said, no, I always thought it was for like enterprisey people or, you know, solicitors or people like that. Um, and she said, no, 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 go down and, and suss it out. So um, I've go down there. I've been there constantly now for the last two years. It's been my savior, to be honest, because I do half days. They facilitate me because I only pop in and out. Um, but I absolutely love it. My sixth book, which will be out next year, owes its existence to Logate because when I go there, I'm in the zone and my schedule is too hectic at home. I go down and I spend two hours or three hours really working hard and, you know, and I'm in great form after it. But actually, they're so cute down there. They um they framed a picture of my fourth book and they put it on the wall. So it's up there now with chariots of fire and wore the buttons and you know and then there's my book in the middle and they're just gorgeous I feel like they're almost like part of my family you know it's great so I, I go there now they're facilitating me at the moment because they don't open on Sundays but they leave a fob for me in O'Neill's coffee and I go in on a Sunday and I'm all alone and I do you know a little bit and do you know what it's brilliant they're great sure no it's it's um what I liked about the place, well, aside from the fact that there was gigabit fiber and it had all the facilities that you could possibly need as a techie, it's also the sense of community in there. And there yeah. was a, it was easy to have a conversation. And I suppose it would be great to be able to get back to that once the COVID times are fully behind us. But it's a, yeah. no, it's a great facility to have. It's something every town should have, hopefully, <laughs> at some point. I suppose as well now speaking back to the writing process and not to distill it down into a kind of an antiseptic process, but how would you have, how would you think that your writing process has evolved from book to book? Oh, massively, massively. I mean, when I started off, I hadn't a clue. You know, I had the basic story and I think that's why I was signed with Poolbag. Actually, they saw the potential of the storytelling. But oh, my God, my, you know, my not even, I suppose, capitals, knowing where to put commas, knowing how to, you know, even divide up into chapters. So, I mean, I was a neophyte. I really hadn't a clue. But when I signed with them, we edited um, my self-published trilogy and we redrafted it. And, you know, it was incredible. So. How have I changed? I suppose my first trilogy was based in Cork. It was, um, you know, the character went to a fictional university with a West Wing and an old bar and, you know, <laughs> all these places. And um, it was very local. And then I kind of got a bit more, I suppose, brave and uh, was heading to New York and, you know, Venice and Antibes and all this. And then suddenly I was writing about the rich and famous. And um, I absolutely love it because, you know, I'm glued to the crown at the moment, season four. And the reason I like it is because 
because I'm fascinated by, you know, you know, the the mighty and and then, you know, how dysfunctional everything is. And it's wonderful. And you kind of get rem- reminded of the Merchant of Venice, you know, all the glisters is not gold, you know, um, that idea that, um, you know, Shakespeare even did it like he had a Prince Hamlet and he had a King Lear. He didn't have an ordinary Joe Soap because we like to see, you know, the mighty fall. So in my books, they don't particularly fall, but they do hit roadblocks and they hit, you know, all these things. And it, it's interesting reading about that life, I suppose, because it's so different to your own. So, um, yeah, I've changed. I've gone from Cork to kind of, you know, uh, New York, I suppose. <laughs> but it, it's great and it's really interesting to research and everything like that. And Google is just my best friend. I love it. Um, and I even go there. I went to New York last year because my fifth book is 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 um set there and I followed in the footsteps of my main character and it was just amazing it was great and you know and people are so helpful as well when you email um asking for information they're just brilliant so yeah it's just enjoyable so I suppose the canvas has enlarged to an extent to take <laughs> yeah. in and you, you get, yeah you get braver as well like I'm more courageous now and I'm more you know confident I suppose because when you start off you're just um you really don't know what you're doing and you you don't know anybody in in the industry and 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 now I have you not contacts but I know people and you know I'm a lot more I suppose thick-skinned than I was when I started and you know and it, it's all a learning curve and I think you know I learn and learn and learn and you know hopefully get better but um yeah it's good it's oh, great I mean and you mentioned previously as well that you went the self-published route Yes. And this is certainly a route, and you've mentioned this in previous interviews with the Southern Star, for instance, that you liked, I suppose, that there was um, there was a certain element of control, as in you controlled your own schedule and you were, um, you controlled your own deadlines. And I certainly know of colleagues, be that uh, in University College Cork or just in general, who are very curious about the self-publication route, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. always are a little bit, approach it with certain trepidation. Um, yeah. So can you just walk us through your experience with self-publishing, how you came to self-publish and what do you think of the overall process and experience? Okay, so I I, um, sent half a manuscript to Pullbag back in 2006 and it was just around the recession time was about to start and there was a huge moratorium on on publishing and I just kind of put it out of my head that it was just not an option anymore. And then I heard of E.L. James, you know, the whole Fifty Shades of Grey phenomenon, but she had actually self-published her trilogy um, before it was taken up. And I mean, she made pots of money in it you know movies and the whole lot so it's kind of inspired by her story so I looked into it and I mean the reality is it was Amazon you know um if you have a word document you upload it into Kindle it's very user-friendly um but then I had to learn everything from scratch so I had to get um a stock photo I didn't know what that was um I had to copyright that um I had to pick a font I had to pick a name (laughs) for the book write the blurb you know do all of that myself um but the interesting thing was the IBSN number in a book as well um you have to buy one if you want your own one and it can cost up to a thousand euros so amazon offer them for free but they tie you up within that so at the time um i didn't care because i had nothing anyway so i i my first three books were ibsn with amazon the whole lot um but i remember the margins jesus the margins trying to get them right and you know it's all they, they give you this sort of um to-do list and the page numbers 
God almighty, trying to start page one on page three and all these things. But anyway, it made me what I am today because um, I, under- I understand so much more about the process of, of books now. Um, and really what I wanted was to actually hold a book in my hand because ebooks were great. I used to get maybe 20 quid into my account every month. You know, people would buy them or whatever, but it was actually holding the book. So I, I learned about CreateSpace and CreateSpace is with Amazon as well. So basically you're not uh, printing loads of books and left with them in boxes and they're only printed when somebody orders them but that renders it very expensive so your book there was no profit zero profit but the books were working out at maybe 13 or 14 euro a book and for an unknown unpublished author you know really it was kind of crazy so it was just you know messing really in the beginning um but the PR side of it as well was massive you know um I learned so much there as well with Facebook and and Twitter and you know all the PR was left to me and I loved that it was really really good but to be fair I do a lot of that myself still you know um Pullbeg are great they're lovely but you get your six weeks with them really when the book is released and then they move on to the next author they're busy with all of that so really everything I do is kind of stemming from me really as well so it's a full-time job but I really enjoy that I love that um just coming up with different ways to get noticed, I suppose, really. So it's good. And I suppose in the current climate and then 2020, a lot of the plans that you had for book signings and larger oh, events, they all terrible, went yeah. the wayside. Is the, have they, Has virtual events stepped in or...? No, I think we were all so shell-shocked at the time. I mean, looking back on it, if it were now, I probably would have set up um, definitely done, you know, pre-recorded virtual events and put them on it online and things like that. But so I was supposed to go to London, Dublin, Galway, Washford. I had all these places to go. And then suddenly, I think it was the week before we locked down from school. So it was in March. I had um, my launch in Skibbereen and then suddenly there was nothing and everything obviously rightly was cancelled. Um, and you get your six weeks and that's it. But I was luckier than most, you know, um, colleagues of mine in Pullbeck, they actually she didn't even get a book launch and some of them didn't even get books in the shops because there was just a big kind of standstill I suppose for a while because all the shops are closed and so it was kind of disappointing but look it is what it is and you know um in the grand scheme of things it's not a massive deal and a lot of people did read I think Gabriella sold quite well because people were at home and they had nothing else to do so yeah I mean god in the event god forbid of another lockdown I think I'd be far more um savvy and how to how to deal with that. I think people have been amazing and inventive during this pandemic um, in so many ways. Um, and I think, you know, that's the beauty of humanity. I suppose we just, you know, get on with it and we find ways to, to get around it. So, um, yeah, bring it on. I'm just hoping it doesn't happen for my sixth one next year because I want some wine fueled book launches. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so, so say we all. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know. So, I mean, and um, with the next book and with Poolbeg in general, did having a publisher like Poolbeg, did that change your relationship and approach to writing to an extent? Oh, they yeah. Were doing, was there a kind of a period of adjustment when you were, I suppose, marching to the beat of someone else's drum schedule wise, etc.? Yeah, like working with an editor was interesting. I learned I learned so much from her. Um, but yeah, you would come to blows about certain things. And initially I would just roll over and say, yeah, no problem. But the last time now we did have arguments about certain things. And in the end, I would say, no, I'm going to go with this because 
that's where it came from my head my my imagination but as I mentioned before your confidence does grow and you kind of believe in yourself a little bit more but um yeah no there are deadlines deadlines I didn't have before um I suppose um when I first signed with the mice I said I had a newborn but we redraft we rebranded and redrafted really a lot of the original trilogy. So because the IBSN was with Amazon, they had to be just gotten rid of and uh, there were whole new titles, whole new covers, the whole lot. Um, and it was great to be able to do that actually. Um, but I was so busy. Um, I had three books to get ready by in six months kind of thing with a small baby and breastfeeding and the whole lot together. So it was really, really tough. And all the while I had to have Gabriella ready for the September, which was my fifth book. But the one thing I will say is they do curtail me in my length. I tend to go mad and I have 160,000 words, no problem. And it's expensive to publish. So they don't care if it's a masterpiece or if it's, you know, as we mentioned before, James Joyce, they don't care. They just want it to be a certain size. So actually, book six was born out of the surplus of book five. And now I'm working on book seven, which is born out of the surplus of book six. So maybe it's a good thing. <laughs> But actually, it does make them better. And they know they know their craft, you know, they know their, you know, target audience and they know what people want. Um, so, oh yeah, it, it's just been really, really interesting. I think you should maybe strike up a pin pal conversation with George or Martin to maybe get those last couple of books over the line. Um, I, he know, definitely, I know. He probably he got could, a fat check not to do it, I'd say, you know, before the TV program was, was released. If, but look, who knows? Yeah, who after knows? that last season, maybe the fandom is gone now. Don't, don't, please. I can't even talk about that. That's just. It's too I, soon. We'll, move, we'll move on. We'll move. It's too soon. Yeah. Um, but I suppose speaking of um, TV adaptations, um, you're now exploring screenwriting. Yeah. And how does that differ from how you would approach your novels and your books? And is that learning something new again from scratch to an extent? Or how have you approached that? Massively. I mean, I haven't a clue, really. Um, I always wanted to do it. Um, oh, it's just been a dream of mine forever. And um, so during lockdown, that's when I started adapting my fourth book because I always I can always see it on screen. I am... I just have so much um, I, I want to share it with the world visually as opposed to anything else. So, yeah, sat down, uh, Googled how to do it um, did it all wrong, of course, and then went back and went through it again. And oh, my God, it's just, you know, been an amazing experience. I flew through it, spent the summer at it, um, but could imagine and visualize flashbacks in my head and, you know, scenes and camera angles. And, you know, it's just a totally different way of expressing everything um but you know yeah so I'm kind of in the process I suppose of getting it um out to people and out to you know you know and maybe it'll be taken up maybe it won't I mean there's a million people like me but um I don't know I just have a feeling that you know it it has something I just I can't explain I just feel like it will but the only problem is I'm such a control freak that <laughs> I'll have to be involved in it because you know like somebody might take it and offer me you know money to change it or whatever I probably wouldn't take it because it's my baby and yeah um Jilly Cooper actually said that in one letter she said Jesus don't let it let them f it up she said because I've written scripts before and you know that can happen so I actually am in a position where you know I can be quite choosy um but having said that nobody's knocking on my door yet but um yeah I'm in the process of kind of getting it ready now so I'm really excited and I mean if this works out I've a million things I'd love to adapt like my other books but also I'd love to do a great adaptation of what 
Wuthering Heights, I think it deserves a good film. There's no really good film of that. And I would love it. I love that now. That would be my big thing. So, so. you want a director's credit for that? Producer's <laughs> credit for that? Have yeah. you got your cast or ideal cast already plotted? Yeah, well, no, I don't even have a cast. But like, I mean, it's just I'd say I'd be painful now, to be honest, <laughs> involved. But look, you know, um, you never know. And I suppose, yeah, I just I have a feeling I just can't explain. I have a feeling in my bones that this will take off some way in some way someone will take it on and um, because it's just a lovely story and I can imagine people sitting down on a Sunday night watching it and getting invested in the characters and yeah so yeah might put my five children through college it would be great <laughs> every good luck with it um <laughs> yeah. no I mean it's 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 great to see and it's a it's it's a different writing discipline to a degree, but when you're writing, find there's a cross pollination is the fact that you're screenwriting now impacting how you're writing your most recent book. Mm, it is, I suppose I would, I wouldn't be as I'm, it's more sparse in its description and things like that. I think the new one, um, it wouldn't be as kind of wordy or flowery, um, which is interesting actually. Um, but no, I mean, it's it's just a different discipline, really. Um, but and actually what was lovely about adapting the fourth book was, you know, I could kind of play God and get rid of bits I didn't like or bits, you know. And actually, when you're dealing with an audience like that, it, it, it's different because you kind of have to stick to the main USP, which for me would be the kind of brother, stepbrother, step, stepsister kind of dynamic. But like you're sticking to that more than anything else. So anything superfluous is sort of shaved away and um, you. you in a book, you can get away with that, but in in a in a program, you can't. I mean, people's interest will wane, and you have to think about it. You know, in episodes, and like, so my first episode, there's a flashback, and it's dramatic, and it's whatever, because I want somebody to come back the next week and watch the next one. You know, so you're thinking about that all the time. But um, I watch enough TV now to kind of pick up tips and bits and pieces. But please God, no, it'll it'll work out. It would be so exciting. And I've already given loads of parts to like people at Skibreen Market because there's a market scene. So like Chicken Dave, he's a guy I buy my chickens off and he's uh, practicing his Cornish accent now to be in it. <laughs> so um, it's a bit of a laugh. Look, we'll see. You never know. <laughs> what would you like to achieve next year? Well, um, obviously the script going somewhere would be great, but it's a slow process. I mean, I'm not, you know, I understand it can take months even to get read or even looked at. But also my sixth book will be out at some stage. Like um, we don't know yet because of the pandemic and everything like that. And to be honest, I'd like to wait and get, you know, the full kind of value out of it. Um, I'm also working on a project with um a uh, tutor, an old tutor of mine in UCC, where where he asked me to contribute a chapter to a book that they're writing about English teaching. So that's going to be published by Cork University Press. So that's you know a different style now because I've done a little bit of academic research before and I had it published. So um, it's completely different to popular fiction, but um, I really enjoy that too. And I mean, there's another article I want to do as well on student identity with social media and stuff um but again you know down the line I'm planning on all this next year but yeah I love that kind of thing as well so um we'll see we'll see but I'm busy so busy but it's great I I wouldn't I don't think you would know how to be any other way <laughs> yeah yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah it's, this is just the norm now <laughs> yeah what would uh what piece of advice would you give to aspiring authors who would be listening 
what would you, if you could go back and uh, in 2011 when you started uh, writing, I think you described it in an interview in earnest, although you've always been yeah, writing. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, what, what, yeah. what would you do differently now, knowing what you know now? Uh, it's it's hard to give advice without cliches, really, but I suppose I would have maybe looked for an agent, but then it's easy to say that now. Um, you know, back in Cara, back in 2011, you know, wouldn't you dreamt of doing such a thing? I didn't even think I'd ever be published. So, but actually having an agent, you know, it, it takes a lot of, you know, um, they know people, they know um, where to push you it's very hard doing PR on your own so yeah that would be something maybe down the line that I would look at um but I suppose the big thing about writing as well uh for a lot of people it's not their main job unless you're very very lucky so don't let it define you um you know if you get rejected you know you have to just pick yourself up and and get on with it but don't put all your eggs in one basket and I it's very depressing to do that and you know the other thing would be the writing hash, writing community hashtag on Twitter is very good as well there's thousands and thousands of members and they're very very supportive and but you know again PR social media we have been given platforms that you know previous generations didn't have and we can use it and people love watching videos and responding to you know different reviews and you have to keep on it and you have to keep active but um you know i suppose yeah that would be all i would say really but just don't ever give up because i was so lucky um really fortunate um but you know you know, you can do it. I think anyone, if I can do it, anyone can do it. So it's, it's, it's a great Well, thing. it speaks to your dedication that you've got it this far, but also the amount of perspiration that went with the inspiration to put it together. And I suppose if what's that line that a famous golf writer, um, the harder I work, the luckier I get. And what yeah. you've done, it, it's on dint of your own effort and your commitment to the craft to get it to this point. So your modesty is appreciated, mm. but in, in this instance, <laughs> I don't think it's needed. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay but no it is it is it's both it's both but i, I do work yeah. hard at it but i love mm. it so it's not really hard work it, it's, it's it's good to do what you love and when you're doing something yeah. you like it's not doesn't seem like hard work at the time no i can certainly no, appreciate that no, no. and yeah. i suppose the last couple of questions are back to more my wheelhouse and i suppose where i would have a particular interest and we're going to focus a little bit on the tools that you use for your craft mm-hmm but on a more whimsical note, if there was to be a celebrity narrator for your books on Audible, and who would they, who would you choose? And why would you choose the celebrity narrator? Well, it's actually a fellow Corkonian. Um, I just love Killian Murphy. I love him. And I, I was listening to his voice. He's just beautiful and he was uh, doing some uh, sleep story you know you know the celebrities do sleep stories and you can pay and they you know talk you to sleep or whatever but he would just be great he's like my celebrity crush now I'd run away with him but um uh just imagine him now reading my kind of novel you know with the saucy bits and everything be great <laughs> he's he's just lovely but also from Cork of course and, let's and he wouldn't it. be narrating yes. it in the Tommy Shelby vain it would be well yes 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 in <laughs> fact that would be okay too i wouldn't say no fair enough um yeah so yeah killian murphy or leonardo dicaprio but i don't know about the american twang i'm thinking no i'd probably go with killian um what piece of technology can you not live without and why my iphone um 
my iPhone hundred million billion percent. And I suppose I remember I got it for Christmas, the first generation iPhone back in the day. And uh, I hadn't a clue. I remember going down to Callan's bar in Skibreen and I met my friends for drinks and suddenly I pulled out this phone and I was, you know, pressing apps and they were like, what is that? And I was like, I can Google on this, you know, and we were just, we couldn't believe it. Like, I mean, I had a Nokia up to that stage. So it just took off from there, but like, oh my God, I am obsessed. And, you know, sometimes then I wean myself off it, you know, on a Saturday, I say, no, don't go near it now for the day. And I think about it and I think about it. And then at about seven o'clock, I reward myself with getting my phone back and then thinking that I've missed so much. And then there's just a couple of emails from, you know, Marks and Spencer or whatever. There's nothing, not even a message or anything cool. But um, yeah, love it. And my husband's the same. We're all the same. We're terrible. I mean, you know, everyone is just sitting around at night on their phones. But, you know, I love being on the pulse and I love Twitter, especially. I love it. And you're never alone on Twitter because it just updates constantly. So you can read and it's witty and it's funny. And yes, it's depressing in parts, but no, my phone is my thing. Have I you found yourself falling into the trap potentially of doom scrolling during the current climate? The Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. And I love, I really enjoy the comments, especially under the Independent um, article. Oh, my God. Like, you know, and you read it and, you know, the anti-teacher brigade as well. I think that's very amusing as well. So I read Amusing and disheartening both. Um. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, and I read my reviews, which is worse. And I remember my first, my re, oh, my God, when I was starting off and this one put in... um, oh, this book made me want to wash out my brain. I remember being really, really insulted. And I said, who is this person? But actually, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And actually, it's it's probably my best and funniest review. So I, I cling wash to that. Wash out your and, brain. Uh, hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, wash out her brain. So, you know, whenever I get cocky or full of myself, I think about <laughs> so yeah you can't please everyone I think that's the most important the former president of UCC the phraseology he used for trips to Dublin I think for NUI meetings or early NUI meetings in the 1920s was that they left him needing a moral carbolic bath when he returned home it's like oof (laughs) I can imagine (laughs) so it's (laughs) it's the biting phraseology that tends to stick in your mind more I find (laughs) yeah Yeah. I I just like it I thought it was great yeah. In terms of the software that you use day to day for your writing your books, it's is Microsoft Word for. Yeah, we, that is part of my contract. I mean, when I signed my contract with Pulbeck, they they want it in in Microsoft Word, and that's how they comment and edit it or whatever. But on a daily basis at school, we use Google Suite. Um, so um, I kind of have both going on. I have my Chromebook and I have my Mac. But um, yeah, so one is sort of work every day school and the other one then is kind of my playtime and my writing and my kind of whimsical stuff so it's it's and with the screenwriting is there a particular software that you've started using for that or have you adapted or bent microsoft word to your will yeah i kind of bent it to my will which i probably shouldn't have done but um i wasn't really okay with the best one to do and i was kind of hoping that you know somebody would read it and be so swept away by how great it was that they would you know do it for me or somebody would come along and do it you know there's people out there who are trained in this I'm not I mean I'm real nobody in this but having said that what what I did come up with is you know similar and it it gets what my point across and I suppose I'm back where I was with my my self-published books you know 
they were appalling but you know the story was there and 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 Poolbeg saw that and they saw the potential in that so that's what I'm hoping will happen with this um no I mean I'd have to but it's from that process where the learning comes from to a degree as in you learned a lot from reworking your books and likewise from reworking the scripts if that comes to that yeah 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 and I would never say I was a, a proper script writer I'm not but um I do um I read up on it and I I look at actual scripts as well and I try and emulate that but have you seen um, the Michael Bay are, movies you've software. seen the Michael Bay movies you don't need a proper script to make a movie you don't even need a script <laughs> exactly. and actually a really good friend of mine he's a writer as well he's a journalist and he's writing a book as well but he Dan and he said you know rules are made to be broken and they are like who decides anything you know so if I want to write it on my Microsoft Word, I'll write Microsoft Word. But like uh, down the line, yeah, I'd probably want to get some kind of software. But you know me now in technology, I'm just, you know, scared of it. So um, yeah, down the line. No, no, that's fair enough. Um, what piece of advice? So we've we've already did, you've already covered the piece of advice that you'd have for those starting out and that persevere yeah. and leverage social media to your advantage. Would you? Yes, I yeah, think so. so. And not get too disheartened by the negative comments, even if some of them yeah. stick in your mind, such as needing to wash out <laughs> yeah. your mind. <laughs> and you, yeah, and you will be rejected. You will be told that it's not right, or they might use euphemisms. But like, you will. And just remember that the greatest writers out there were rejected. You know, um, you know, I always think of J.K. Rowling and Harry Potter in the bin, and somebody picking it out just by pure chance. It's luck as well. And I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. You know, you don't just, you know, walk in there. It, it is luck. It's serendipity. It's it's meeting somebody at the right time or making a connection. But you can only do what you do and hope for the best. And if it's meant for you, it won't pass you. To be honest, I think in the current climate, your brand of escapism that you're writing is just what the world is looking for. So every good luck for the future. <laughs> yeah. And thanks a million yeah. for your time, Cara, and for taking the time oh, to speak on the inaugural Cork Creative Podcast. Um, I'm so honoured to be asked, honestly. It was just lovely. Thank you so um, much. If you'd like to learn more about Cara and her books, you'll find information and web links at corecreative.ie forward slash Carabelle. And we hope you'll come back on the podcast in a couple of years, Cara, as the movie and TVs are in the works and you've got producer rights and Wuthering Heights is in the works also, no doubt. Um, yeah. Every good luck for the future. And I hope in 2021, all your goals are achieved. Um, I, yeah. I think we're all looking forward to putting 2020 in our rear view mirror. Most yes. certainly. <laughs> Absolutely. But listen, thank you so much. And thanks a million, Carol.